menagerie. Later this month, Barack Obama will be on his way out of the White House, and if history is any indication, he'll likely issue a couple of presidential pardons as he makes his exit. It's a custom of sorts at this point. Late 2007 saw George W. Bush pardon 29 people, but that's nothing, honestly. On his last day in office, Bill Clinton pardoned 140 folks, including his brother Roger. The granting of a pardon is one of the presidential powers that Congress doesn't have a say over, and that means that these free passes can be controversial, and they're not issued lightly. With one exception. This November, we can all but guarantee that the leader of the free world will use the powers granted him by the United States Constitution to stay the execution of a pair of Thanksgiving turkeys. Here's the president pardoning two birds, dubbed Mac and Cheese by popular vote, back in 2014. Today I'm taking uh, an action fully within my legal authority. <laughs> the same kind of action taken by Democrats and Republican presidents before me to spare the lives of two turkeys, Mac and Cheese from a terrible and delicious fate. <laughs> the turkey pardon is a fairly modern invention, but gifting the president a bird? That's been a tradition and a bit of good PR since 1873. That's when a Rhode Island turkey farmer named Horace Vos began sending hand-picked holiday birds to the White House. Beginning with Ulysses S. Grant, Vos, who was known as New England's poultry king, sent Thanksgiving and Christmas turkeys to 11 presidents over the course of four decades. After the poultry king's death in 1913, the doors were open for new participants to drum up publicity for their fowl by sending one to the White House. Everyone from former congressmen to 4-H clubs got in on the act. While these birds may not have been selected as carefully as those sent by Vos, they were shipped with love, and often in impressive fashion, Crates for some gobblers were done up like battleships, while other birds were dressed in full costume as flying aces. It wasn't until 1947 that this tradition started taking shape the way we know it now. That's when the National Turkey Federation, a trade group for the poultry industry, took over the gifting of the presidential bird. Truman was the first sitting president gifted a bird by the Turkey Federation, prompting the lasting myth that he was also the first president to pardon a bird. N not so, according to the Truman Presidential Library, which can turn up no documents or evidence to substantiate that claim. Instead, it appears that each of the turkeys gifted to Truman between 1947 and 1952 was destined for the White House dinner table. Indeed, despite the hoopla that now surrounds the annual pardoning ceremony, the turkeys who arrived at the White House were, by and large, headed for the kitchen. It wasn't until 1963 that the presidential bird avoided the butcher's block. Despite a sign around the bird's neck that clearly read, Good eating, Mr. President, John F. Kennedy told gathered reporters his plan was to let this one grow. This show of mercy would be one of Kennedy's last acts as president. He was killed in Dallas just two days later. 
Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan also let some of the birds they were gifted off the hook. But President George H.W. Bush was the first to grant an official presidential pardon to the turkey, beginning one of the stranger White House traditions in memory. Every November since 1989, the commander-in-chief of the world's most dominant superpower has taken a couple hours out of their schedule to accept the gift of an enormous domestic bird and then ceremonially spare its life. The turkeys America's poultry farmers send to Washington, D.C. are a step above even the most carefully selected Genio, and not just because they're not yet frozen. Each year, the chair of the National Turkey Federation is responsible for selecting the presidential bird, usually from his home state. A flock of about 80 turkeys is chosen in August and raised in sequestration. There, representatives from the Turkey Federation watch the birds grow, looking for those that seem the most presidential. As with the presidency, an alternate animal, a vice turkey, is also selected to take over in case the chosen bird can't fulfill its duties. Over the span of a couple months, the competition is winnowed down to a few strong contenders. Think of it as the world's weirdest, most literal game of Survivor. So, what are turkey farmers looking for in a presidential bird? First off, it has to be big. Remember, these birds weren't always pardoned. For decades, they were bound for the White House dinner table, and it wouldn't do to serve the commander-in-chief anything but the finest a flock had to offer. Though today's birds aren't headed to the kitchen, they're still handsome animals and fattened up nicely, sometimes weighing as much as 60 pounds. After all, the turkey pardon is a killer piece of advertising for America's poultry industry. Turning hundreds of live cameras on anything but the plumpest, juiciest looking bird they have to offer would be kind of a waste. A couple of different breeds have been in the running for White House turkey in recent years, but the continuing emphasis on size means that the turkeys pardoned by presidents are the very same breed that you fight with your family about politics over every November, the broad-breasted white. Beginning in the middle of the 20th century, turkey farmers started selecting more and more carefully for a turkey that would supply consumer demand. That demand, by and large, was for white meat which drove the development of a new breed that boasted breast meat to spare. Today, broad-breasted whites are the definitive American turkey, and that's because Americans prefer breast meat, which broad-breasted whites produce an astounding amount of, enough that it's actually to the detriment of the birds. You see, these huge breasts, which provide lots of moist white meat for Thanksgiving dinners, have an unintended consequence. Modern turkeys are unable to assume the position when it comes to breeding. They have been for years. If you're under the age of 40 or so and listening to this show, every turkey breast, every drumstick, every cold cut or turkey burger you've ever tasted has been the product of the longest and most effective artificial insemination program in history. Size matters in a presidential bird, but it's not everything. The legions of reporters and photographers who show up at these pardoning ceremonies can rub a lot of birds the wrong way. And the optics of a 50-pound turkey biting the head of the U.S. government on live TV? Not great. 
That's why the Turkey Federation goes out of their way to choose a really chill bird. One that's not going to freak out in the spotlight or bolt for the exits. Now, temperament means a lot on this front, but like anyone who's about to take the stage with the President of the United States on live television, there's some media training involved. What that looks like, though, differs widely from year to year. In 2001, then-Chair Nick Weaver made sure the presidential flock was tended to only by men wearing dark blue overalls with long sleeves. Getting these birds used to the presence of dour dudes in navy suits, he reasoned, would ensure that whoever emerged from the competition would feel at ease in the nation's capital. Others have taken more proactive approaches to preparing the birds for their moment in the spotlight. In 2014, turkey farmer Cole Cooper got the presidential flock used to crowds and noise by trucking them around to highly attended events all over the state of Ohio. The year before that, Minnesota elementary schoolers took field trips to see the presidential turkey contenders, resulting in shouting crowds that even the White House press pool would be hard-pressed to live up to. After they receive their pardons, the presidential turkeys head off to their retirement homes. These have been everywhere from petting zoos to Disneyland, which played home to some of the birds pardoned by George W. Bush. During the Obama administration, the birds have taken their sunset in Morven Park in Leesburg, Virginia. There, they have plenty of room to roam, a diet of locally sourced grains, and the care of some excellent vets. Despite all this, though, pardoned presidential birds do not have a very long lifespan. Mac, one of the birds you heard being pardoned in 2014, was dead by July 2015. In fact, of the more than a dozen birds Obama has pardoned during his two terms in the Oval Office, just two are still alive. Mac's partner, Cheese, and Carmel, one of the pardoned parties from 2013. Keep in mind one thing. The fact that presidential turkeys pass away so quickly, even during a life of leisure, is really unsurprising. There's a reason you don't see broad-breasted white turkeys before they're flash-frozen and shrink-wrapped at your local supermarket. These birds are not pets. They are bred for one reason, to be a Thanksgiving centerpiece, and they're pretty bad at anything else. Today... Broad-breasted whites get significantly larger than previous turkey breeds, and they do it quickly. A chick hatched in May or June can tip the scales at up to 70 pounds by October. That's faster and larger than a turkey is really meant to grow, and it takes a toll on these birds. Their huge builds make them prone to bone and joint problems, and vulnerable to ailments like heat stroke, which is what felled Mac. All of which is no problem for most of these turkeys. Which is to say, most of these turkeys don't live long enough for these factors to become problems for them. But given just an extra couple months of life, their poor health becomes evident. It's enough to make one ask whether pardoning presidents are really doing these birds a favor. Every year, at the end of November, about 46 million turkeys go to their deaths. But they don't do so in vain. There's a reason that the only grace most of us will say in the course of a year is over these birds. 
They are there when we introduce partners to parents, when we meet new nieces and nephews, when we find out what our racist uncles are up to these days. These birds don't just feed families, they make memories. And every year, amid much pomp and circumstance, two of them are publicly pardoned and then shipped off to live lives that were never really meant to be. To suffer through sweltering summers and labor beneath the weight of more flesh than they were ever built to bear, spared, and in doing so, denied the only end ever intended for them. Menagerie is written and produced by Ian Chant. That's me. Our theme music is O oh Susquehanna by Defiance Ohio. A quick note about today's show. If you want to learn more about the bustling industry of turkey artificial insemination, you should check out a segment on Freakonomics Radio that I helped to produce a few years back. There's a link on our Medium page, and you can also find it by following us on Twitter. We're menagerie underscore pod. If you like today's show, do us a favor. Tell a friend about it. You can also subscribe on Stitcher and iTunes or whatever podcast app you're partial to. And if you do listen on iTunes, be a pal. Rate and review the show. It only takes a second and it really helps other people find us. We'll be back again next month with a new story. Until then, happy Thanksgiving and thanks for listening.